You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham the true colors. Welcome, Bat Family. Wow, is all I got to say. Um, welcome to the Eternal Night, um, a podcast uh, dedicated to all things Batman, detective, comics, animated, movie. And speaking of movie, wow. Um, I am here. I am Craig Blaylock. Um, you can find me on social media at Craigie Omega. I am here with my very good friend, Phil. Phil, how you doing? I'm great. It feels so great. Both, not to... I think we're both great. Yeah, you know, number one, it feels really great not to do the intro for once. Not that I don't mind doing it, but uh, number two, um, like you, I'm I'm still reeling in from the the cinema that I witnessed last night. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, what we are, eighteen episodes in on our show here. And I think pretty much since episode one, it has been leading to this moment. 
uh, Phil and I went and to the uh, the fan screening of the Batman last night, and wow, wow was all I got to say. Just yeah, you know, like you, I'm still kind of reeling from it. Uh, like I texted you earlier today, the theme has just been playing over and over and over in my head all day long. Well, first of all, everyone, if you all want to follow me or the show along, oh, you, yeah. can, it, you know, you can follow me <laughs> at Unfiltered. That. Nah, you're fine, dude. And you can also follow along with this show uh, just at T-E-K underscore podcast on Twitter and Facebook. But yeah, much like my buddy Craig here, we both, it's funny, you mentioned that we saw the, the screening together, but that's that's the case, but that's not quite the case because you're, yeah. um, yeah. you know, in the Midwest and I'm... We're spiritually in the Coast. same theater together, right? But I think you're, I think you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. That when we started this show, we've been wanting to do this show. I think since, so oh shoot, I don't know, 2015? 2016. I want to say 2015, 2016, We first started talking about like, hey, maybe we should do a podcast. Maybe we should focus on Batman since we both love Batman so much. Yeah, and that's really kind of where this show kind of blossomed from, and after you know, a couple attempts on my end of doing a podcast. And then also, you know, with my other show, superhero stress that I do, which I'm sure I'll talk about the Batman there too, at some point. Um, really like the, this show was kind of born about the idea of wanting to talk about Batman and Batman movies and other things pertaining to the Cape Crusader. And now here we are 18 episodes in. And, and I think even since the first episode, it's been kind of like a mission statement of ours to really mm-hmm. talk about this movie when it came out. And, Fortunately, we were cap- we were capable enough to get into those uh, fan first screenings that happened last night, and um, yeah, I'm 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 right there with Craig. I'm just absolutely mesmerized and blown away. I've still got shots of this movie running through my head. I've been listening to the soundtrack nonstop, like the the song "Highway to the Anger Zone." Anger Zone? Yeah, J- dude, yeah. like that. That was so. J- that one just gets me pumped that one i can work out too and um props to scott mcclellan from um dc Squadcast for pointing out that 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 the track would in fact be part of the chase sequence which we all assumed would be yeah and man i i just i i am just so excited to talk about this movie but we have a very specific way that we're going to talk about this movie yeah and um you know this is a fan first screening. The movie actually won't be out um, as of this recording. Uh, we are recording on March second. The movie officially debuts for worldwide release just in two more days on March the fourth. Um, our fan screening was on the first, but um, we will be doing, you know, spoiler-free reactions, which we kind of already dipped into. After that, we will move into characters and the actors who portrayed them. Before moving into a full-on spoiler discussion. And then finally, after that, we will address some questions left for us uh, via Twitter and Facebook. So, Craig, my guy, um, do you have a more spoiler-free anything else reaction to this movie? Is there anything else? Because I know you and I were talking just a little bit before we did start recording, and I know there's some choice words in regards to some other Batman movies I'm sure we could express, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, really the only thing, and first and foremost, I want to say, uh, thank you to my friends and family who, uh, messaged me after my social media post about this episode. 
Um, for those that don't follow me on social media, I put up a post basically saying, you know, hey, my friends and family have been asking me, like, what are your thoughts on the Batman? And I'll be more than happy to tell you if you listen to our new episode of The Eternal Night. Got several messages from some friends and family that are like, you son of a. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny so, because I got messages as well from a variety of different friends and family. A couple of people like, "Ooh, let me know how it is when you're done. Ooh, you know, yeah. tell me all the spoilers. And I'm just like, yes, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my one of my good friends, Matt, sent me a message. and He's like, all right, man, we need to talk about this movie. I was like, not until after my episode has gone up. My good sir, I am sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's like if you want if you want to if you want to talk about it, you gotta listen to it for sure. Um, you know, funny enough, I reached out to another friend, uh, Brennan Lowe from um, the Nightlight and Holy Batcast. I I wanted to hear his thoughts on the film, but unfortunately, I left my headphones at work today, so I reached out to him personally and DM'd him, and we had a little bit of a chat about it. Um, good friend of mine, Daniel Adams, actually uh, sent me a pretty interesting article that um. It pertains to Paul Dano's The Riddler, and I, I thought we could talk about that a little bit. Apparently, the scene in which, uh, you know, Batman taps the phone on the district attorney's, uh, it's taped to the district attorney, like, uh, uh, yeah. appara apparently that shot, this could be very hyperbolic on, on the news outlet's case, but uh, according to Matt Reeves said, this scene took about 200 takes. <laughs> Which I find wow. kind of I, I find kind of funny, and honestly, I, I feel like that's a bit of an exaggeration. I don't, I don't really think it took 200 takes. Now, <laughs> I could be wrong. There, there very well could be like 200 different versions of the same shot with different <laughs> variations to it. I just don't know. But uh, according to what I read in this article from, I think it was the the Independent. Yeah, the Independent. Um, it was the shot where Dano as the Riddler, like, appears and, you know, confronts Batman for the first time because it's via, like, you know, FaceTime, Skype, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah. I guess he was toying with it from a bunch of different creative standpoints. Like, you know, what if I just, you know, answered it while sitting there? Or what if I just, like, came into frame? It's like, that's a very intricate way of trying to get the scene right. And I feel mm -hmm. like the way that they went with that scene in particular was probably the best call. I think so. I think the attention to detail, you've got to give them huge props on this. I was reading an article earlier today about how Pattinson said that um, he was toying around with, you know, how is my Batman going to sound? What's his voice going to be like? Right. And for a good first kind of chunk of shooting, he had a very particular kind of voice. And everyone kind of told him, eh, it's not really working, my guy. And he took it and he said, well, I've got to change it then. And fair point to him because this Batman voice is excellent, in my opinion. But it's it's that kind of detail that I really appreciate that they you really get the sense that they cared about what they were filming in this movie. To add to that, I did watch a video where Matt Reeves was talking about the shot specifically used in a lot of the marketing where uh, it's it's literally right after Cobblepot's car crashes and, you know, Batman's walking toward him. It's the yeah. upside-down shot with the fire behind him, right? Apparently, yeah. that shot was done virtually in pre-vis, and Reeves went ahead and, you know, modeled the entire shooting of that sequence based off the virtual footage that he already had. Like he, oh, wow. He, they built it in a virtual sequence on a, on a computer, right, before they even shot it. And then he went and actually shot it. I just got to say, he, to your point, attention to detail, Reeves knocked it out of the park. Yeah. 
and and you know even thinking about attention to detail and matt reeves as a director i look back at like you know dawn of the planet of the apes and war of the planet yeah. of the apes and cloverfield especially like dawn dawn of the planet of the apes is probably one of his most technically achieving yeah moments in his filmography i think like they're, they're the attention to detail to caesar the atmosphere the, the setting everything about that movie was just top notch and honestly that was the first film i watched after it was announced that Matt Reeves had taken over the project from Ben Affleck. Oh, okay. So that was my, I mean, I had seen Cloverfield before that, but I wasn't, you know, too aware that he had made it. So I, I, yeah, I honestly, up until the announcement of him being the director for the Batman, I had no idea that he was the director of Cloverfield. Yeah, neither did I. And so when it was announced that he was, I immediately like went to my local, uh, I almost said grocery store. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, department store in this case probably a walmart or something and i bought the um the duology of rise of the planet of the apes and dawn of the planet of the apes because reeves didn't do the first one that was rupert wyatt the second one he did and then he also followed up with war he was finishing war of the planet of the apes when he got the call for batman oh okay and i i just gotta say like despite all of WB's haphazard mishandling of things DC, I'm kind of glad they stepped off and was just like, yeah, make your movie. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, you should do that more often. Because this movie is just, you know, incredible. Like, from start to finish, it is, for me personally, like, to me, in a a spoiler-free way of making this sound, it is by and far... Not without question, my favorite Batman solo film, but I mm-hmm. also think it is, it is, I want to say definitive, but I'm going to wait until I see it two more times. I think that this movie is a much better Batman tale than 89 Returns, The Dark Knight, and Batman Begins. I 100% agree. And it is, it, okay, go ahead. I just, Honestly, it, it just, it's not like any kind of dig to Nolan no, or Tim Burton. Not at all. It's just, you know, they both took some very creative liberties with certain things, be it narrative or character, that I just, you know, look at a little bit differently. But I look at what happened in the Batman, and I'm just like, yeah, that's Batman. Like, all, everything I yes. saw was very much in the same spirit of Batman. It is a detective story through and through. It is got some of the grimmest tone Gotham City's ever had in live action, and this this the cast is just absolutely spectacular. Every I don't think there was a bad performance in this movie at all. I don't think so either. I don't know. I can't think of a single moment where I thought like, oh, that didn't fit, or oh, that didn't go along with that character. Everyone played their roles to a T. Um, yeah, in my opinion, this is this is as close to a perfect Batman movie that you could possibly get. This is as close to a graphic novel come to life as I have ever seen. I think I really like you you really do feel the graphic novel elements of this movie Absolutely. Come, come to light. I mean, you know, you and I were, were talking about recording. If you've read The Long Halloween, you're really going to love this movie. 
Mm-hmm. If you're also a fan of Ego, I think you're also going to love this movie a lot, too. Yeah. Because there, there are some elements of Batman Ego very much present in this movie, which I was actually very surprised by. Yeah, it's just, before we get into like going into talking about the particular characters and then eventually getting into spoilers without spoiling anything, there's just there was not a single moment. I mean, this movie's just shy of three hours long. Yeah. And I didn't want there was not a single moment where I was like, oh, this is dragging on. I was entranced from beginning to end and I didn't want it to stop. Like even at a particular point towards the end where you kind of see where things are wrapping up. I'm like, no, no, no. I want more. Mm -hmm. Show me more. Mm -hmm. Show me more of this world. Show me more of these characters. I want to know what's going to happen next. I was so mad at myself. I wanted to kick myself in the ass. I had to use the bathroom like an hour or so into the movie. (laughs) I was so mad. I was so mad because I missed, I missed the thing I was looking forward to the most. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll get we'll get into it for sure but like yeah dude like i missed uh yeah i don't want to talk about it right now but i i had to use the bathroom twice and i'm like oh curse you bladder that's the nice thing about having really fast working metabolism so i knew like i was like i told myself i'm i'm not getting up from my seat like when i sit down i'm not leaving so like i there happened to be a um a Hardee's or as over in California, they call it Carl's Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few streets down from the theater I was at. And I hadn't eaten anything yet since I had gotten off of work. So I beeline, I got straight over there, got to the drive through ordered a large spicy chicken sandwich meal. Man, I crammed that thing down in like six minutes. <laughs> Everything. Spicy chicken sandwich, large fries, chocolate shake, large Dr. Pepper, all gone. And I was like, all right. All that's in me. I shouldn't need any other nourishment for the rest of the night. Got to the theater, went to the bathroom, cleared it all out, got into my seat, and I'm like, all right, I'm good. I don't need anything. I am set. I'm not moving from this seat until the credits are done. I'm so jealous. You have no idea how jealous I am because my friend and I <laughs> my friend and I saw this last night, and we went and ate at a place called um, – night steakhouse out here but not really out here in sacramento we i we had to i had to drive about an hour or so away from where i live currently to see this movie in imax and it was a nice little cafe had a drink or two and um you know before the movie started went to the bathroom i was like okay cool i'm like an hour in my bladder starts going wild i'm just like what (laughs) the are you doing and I was like, all right, fine. I'm just, just going to go get it over with. That body has betrayed me. My body has betrayed <laughs> me, right? Like, all right, fine. I went, did my business, came back as fast as I possibly could. Like, I <laughs> I raced to the bathroom like the flash. It was that. <laughs> uh, this is how much I did not want to miss this movie. And now I'm glad I've seen it the one time because now I know where the perfect bathroom break break point is. <laughs> yeah. So now when I see it again on Saturday and Sunday... I can drink whatever the hell I want. I'm going, all right, cool. I can wait till this point and then I'll go to the bathroom. And I will say too, for those who are going to go see it, obviously quite a few people are going to go see this movie. Try your best to see it in IMAX. Yes. Because man, this was a trip to see on that gigantic screen. 
You know, I can't disagree, but I'm also seeing it in just um, the, the standard century theater that we have over here off Greenback. I'm sure you know where that is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, still definitely see it any way you can. But if you if you are capable of it, if you have an IMAX theater near you, do it. It is 100 percent worth the money and worth the trip. Oh, yeah. Agreed completely. Could not agree more, my friend. Could not agree more. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just had the biggest gaping smile on my face the entire time I watched this movie. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was just so thrilled. Every beat hit the way it was supposed to. I even found myself chuckling at dumb shit because that's just how much I love Batman. Like, when he, yeah, would, just, when he would just subtly, like, you know, respond back to some goon or something, I just always kind of chuckle. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that this movie has just done an absolute number on me. I've been thinking about it all day. You know, we've been listening yep. to the soundtrack, and I just, oh, I just really can't wait to see this movie. I can't wait to own it because, man, this movie is just awesome. Uh, with that said, eh, five out of ten, it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what did we start talking about, Batman and Robin? Never mind. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> no bat nibbles. Zero out of ten. <laughs> really okay mm-hmm. all right well you know it is what it is <laughs> okay i think we have kind of moseyed on from spoiler free reactions are we ready yeah. to, to talk about characters and the actors who portrayed them yeah i'd say so i would so, say i guess at this point if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want any spoilers i would say pause the episode come back after you've seen it yeah i'm wondering if this is going to fall into the spoiler category or not i feel like with the way some of the things that happen in the storyline with the characters i feel like people could interpret things as spoilers yeah you know maybe we should just go ahead and throw the spoiler tag up there right now yeah i think it's a good idea yeah Okay, well, that spoiler tag is out there. We are going to be talking about the characters and the actors who portrayed them in the Batman freely, along with probably more spoiler talk after the fact. Um, so we're going to kind of go in order from main, just majorly the main cast. So we are going to be talking about, um, first and foremost, main character of the flick, the Batman himself, played by Robert Pattinson. Why don't you kick us off, Craig? How'd you feel about Robert Pattinson's portrayal of the Dark Knight himself? I just got to say, for as much as he has probably gotten flack, um, that stuff needs to end. The whole uh, Twilight emo Batman, uh, Batman that glitters or shines in the sunlight. I don't know how you could say that anymore. Now that we have seen it, now that you have seen the performance... He is such, he does so good with saying so little. When he's Bruce Wayne, if you notice, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, yes, he does have dialogue scenes. You know, he has some good interactions with Alfred and a few other characters. But when he's Bruce Wayne, I mean, you get this sense that he is a very reclusive Bruce Wayne. A Bruce Wayne who has shut himself off from the world. 
um, you know, this, you know, from what we've seen in trailers and stuff. And now that we have seen the film, the funeral scene, he doesn't say a word. He, he walks into the funeral and it is just mostly him making eye contact with people and observing things and kind of gaining an idea of what's around him. This is a very different kind of Bruce Wayne, but I very much appreciate what he brought to the character. I think the only thing he said in the entirety of the funeral sequence was, I'm sorry, and that was to the mayoral candidate. Yeah. yeah, when she was like upset at him because he, in her eyes, he's not doing anything. Right. Which again, again, very, very different. This is not the Bruce Wayne who goes out and, you know, you know, Christopher Nolan's Bruce Wayne. He's not walking into a party with supermodels on each arm. He's not jumping into a fountain to, you know, get the attention of everybody. He's not a Playboy millionaire. And, I think that actually really worked for this version of Bruce Wayne slash the Batman. You know, to kind of drive that point home along too, there's a point early, very early on in the movie actually where him and Alfred are in the Batcave. It's actually right. It's, it's the introduction of the Batcave if I'm not mistaken. And when, when he rides in on the motorcycle. Yeah. Which was badass yeah. by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. To see that his cave and where it was location wise and how he got there, I was just like, mm. okay, this is badass. Yeah. That the, the entirety of how he comes in and out of his cave and the fact that it's kind of spoilers below Wayne Manor, or sorry, not Wayne Manor, Wayne Tower, which mm. I don't know if you know, Craig, but that's actually a callback to Detective Comics and Batman comics from the 70s when Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill were working on the character because. Batman lived in Wayne Tower and operated out of another cave beneath Wayne Tower. Really? Mm -hmm. I did not, yeah, I did not know that. That is, that's interesting. Yeah. Commonly overlooked thing for Batman's mythology, but that that is indeed a, a, a very inspired take from that time in comics, if I remember correctly. And um, when him and Alfred are having that conversation, like Alfred tells him, you know, I've got Wayne investors coming here. And Bruce kind of like freaks out at him a little bit. He's like, what do you mean they're coming yeah. here? And and yeah. Alfred's like, well, I couldn't get you to go there because you don't want to. Yeah. Right. And he's like, why would I want to? It's like, this is so Alfred's like, what? You don't give a shit about your family's legacy. And Bruce just kind of looks at him and goes, this is yeah. my family's legacy. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. Yeah, and this, even is a, this is a Bruce Wayne who does not care about his outside persona. Like, and, he just doesn't care. And honestly, I think that that is going to be a driving force behind the second movie. That it is inevitably so going to come out, right? Like, it's inevitable. There's for sure going to be a sequel to this movie. They'd be foolish not to make it one. You know? Yeah. But when it comes to his version of Batman, I feel like that was this was a blind spot for him because of things that happen at the end of the movie with an interaction with another character, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like yeah. the whole Bruce Wayne being cut off from the world and being very, you know, enclosed and being very, like, superbly private, right? It kind of came back and bit him in the ass a little bit. So yep. it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of journey his Batman goes on. But I think, for me, 
for me personally, I think he's tied with Affleck as like best Batman. I think so too. I, 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 I mean, I'm honestly having a hard time deciding at this point. Again, I'm probably gonna have to see the movie again. It's really neck and neck with me at this point because they both, and even I think this is kind of like what we talked about in our best live action Batman episode. You know, what we had said about the difference between Bale and Affleck was that Bale had three movies to develop the character and watch what happens with that character. Whereas Affleck kind of sort of had two, I guess you would say, between B- BDS and uh, Justice League. And I've got to give Pattinson credit that we watched that. The journey that Affleck went through between BDS and Justice League and what Bale's character went through in the three Nolan films, I feel like Pattinson's Bruce went through it all in a single movie. Especially towards the end when we see that new kind of outlook he has at that point by the end of the film. Which is also interesting because he narrates a lot of the movie. Yeah. Which... I think is a, a kind of a nod to ego because it's it's literally the movie is being told from the perspective of Batman, right? Like he, yeah. he he's literally the first the after the opening sequence, like when you get his first voiceover and you get him crawling through the city and you get him um, kind of monologuing, like just how downtrodden the city has become, and then yeah. you know we get his slick entrance as Batman, which I think is just the absolute yeah. best um yeah his i think his version of batman for me is is like neck and neck with affleck's version of the character i think affleck still has a better suit but i also think that pattinson has just pattinson what pat what robert pattinson and matt reeves did with their version they really captured the spirit of not only like the dark knight detective but the Cape Crusader vigilante crime fighter. Like they really got them both right. I feel like, and again, you know, this is not a knock to Nolan Burton or even Zack Snyder because they all had very much more specific takes on the character that leaned in a very singular direction, right? Like you have Keaton's Batman who was just kind of dark and brooding and very, you know, witty, right? And then you've got the Bale version of Batman who is very much the symbol, very much the idealist, very much, you know, the philanthropist trying to do the right thing. And then you've got Affleck's version of the character, who's very much jaded, but still sees that path of redemption and follows it forward through. Then you look Mm -hmm. at Rob's Batman, and you're like, this guy is whacked, but in a good way. Like, he's whacked like Batman's whacked. Yes. And it it very much sums up what that uh, that interview that um, I think we had talked about it a couple of episodes ago, where Pattinson said in an interview that his Batman, his Bruce, he's a weirdo, mm-hmm. and that you definitely see that he is a reclusive weirdo, but it works for the character. And honestly, like even his version of Batman was the perfect kind yeah. of you know, like just. You know how Batman would like spy on people in the animated series and just not yeah. give a shit? That's that's yeah. exactly what his Batman did in this movie, and I liked mm-hmm. 
as weird as that sounds, I liked that he was just very on top of everything. What I appreciated the most, and I, I like how you brought up the introduction of Batman um, in this film. He is, that is the introduction of a monster. Like, <laughs> the dark shots, the, all you hear are the footsteps. You know something is coming, and these thugs know that something is there, and something is heading towards them. It is so well shot, and man, when he walks into frame, and you just see this thing staring at you, that was a monster movie introduction for a superhero. Mm -hmm. And he made you feel the fear that those, uh, whoever those Jokerish looking guys were. And I just, I love the way they treat the, every time he walks in a room in this film, everyone is intimidated. And that is what you need to have for Batman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even when, when Gordon shines the light and then they go and investigate the mayor's mm -hmm. death and you get that, you know, every cop stops and yeah. looks right. Like everyone's just kind of baffled at the idea this, this grown man, just like a bat is here at a crime scene. Right. <laughs> yeah. but even, even when some cops like try and give him lip, he doesn't back down one bit. No. The one cop stops him, gets his, you know, puts his hand on him, saying, "Hey, where you, where do you think you're going?" And Gordon just says, "You know, he's with me." Panson doesn't say a word, but his, his presence and the way he just kind of slightly tilts his head and mm -hmm. kind of looks at the cop, but doesn't say a word, doesn't even make eye contact with him, and then just keeps walking. That is what you need to make Batman an imposing, threatening character. And man, did they nail it. You know, it's so funny that, that the police force was so spooked to have him. And when the commissioner shows up, Commissioner Pete Savage, yeah. he's just having a fit. He, yeah. because, you know, the mayor's dead, the press is outside, right? And and he's just yeah. like, he's he's grilling Jim. Like, what are you doing? You've got a vigilante here? There's a message tied directly to him to how do him. you how yeah. do you know he's not a part of this and jim gordon obviously you know is like well yeah it's addressed to <laughs> him why the hell would he have anything to do with it yeah you know but i just really like the way that that pattinson delivered the stoicism of batman but also that dark brutality because man getting to watch like the entirety of him beating down those goons was just something to behold. And every every fight f with him after that, yeah, he gets his ass kicked a little bit, but he mm -hmm. dishes it out twice as worse to these goons. And what I appreciate about it, and I mean, we already got the sense of that from the very first trailer when we watched that first beatdown. This is a Bruce Wayne slash Batman who he is really struggling to hold on to that inner rage. He wants to let it out, but he also knows that he has to rein it in or he is going to break that one rule that he has. But man, when he lets loose, he lets loose. Uh, I'm not, not to go too far into the spoilers, but a particular fight scene towards the end. And he, uh, he does something that kind of gets him going. 
and mm. uh, he beats a particular person pretty good. On the theater that I was in, people were gasping because man, you you haven't seen a Batman do that on the screen before. I'm still just in shock and awe that he just nailed it. Absolutely nailed every aspect of what he was handed to do. And honestly, like I'm, I'm just very curious to see what else he does now. Like what is this Batman going to do in the wake of what happens by the end of this movie? Right. Because by the end of this movie, he, he basically comes to the conclusion that I've been doing things and they've been helping but the overall bigger picture is driven by vengeance. And I don't know that vengeance is the right answer to help the city the best way that I can. Right. That scene where at at the end, when he's helping, you know, that girl out of the rubble and, um, you know, she grips him as they're trying to send her away, Mm -hmm. just the way he looks at her. And again, no dialogue. He's just, it's the emotion that he is showing without showing too much, you can tell that he has become a changed character at this point. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Cause just like I said in previous podcast episodes, that's why Affleck meant so much to me in that opening scene in BVS when he is running into the rubble, because that is who Batman is. And that's exactly you flip it now and you go to the end of this movie that is who Batman is. He is driven by a personal vendetta. He is vengeful, but he knows he has to be a beacon of hope for people as well. Mm-hmm. And man, did that ending nail it. I I got teary-eyed during that scene. Yeah, you're not the only one. I had some tears in my <laughs> eye too. That was actually pretty inspiring. Do you have a favorite moment of him as Batman in this movie? Oof, every moment. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to see it again to really just find that one singular moment. Um, you know, really, I, I think overall, just that that ending scene, just, that really, really did stick with me. Watching him get people out save you know those few people and then in one of the few shots in the entire movie that's somewhat daylightish because <laughs> it's a very dark movie in every aspect of the word um it was just it was really inspiring to see that shot of him helping those people out well i'm gonna throw up another spoiler tag because my moment's very uh personal um, I think my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments, hands down, is probably towards the end of the movie. Um, Gordon, GCPD, Batman, they're all in what is presumed to be Edward Nigma's, or sorry, Edward Nashton's. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> when, when they're in his apartment, Gordon gets a call and he tells Batman, the Riddler's asking for you at Arkham. Batman mm-hmm. goes to Arkham. You see the the railing go up, and then you finally see like Paul Dano, and he's in his mm-hmm. Arkham outfit. He's in his you know aviator glasses, and you know 
Dano kind of just lays it out for Batman right there and there. Like, I couldn't have done this without you. Basically trying to gaslight Batman into into the idea that because of you, I got to do this. So you're a part of this too because of what I made happen. Right? And Yeah, to the point where he says something along the lines of like, I can't do this without you. I'm the Mm -hmm. brains. I got the genius in me, but Mm -hmm. I can't do what you do. So you did that part for me. And that was a, oh man, that that gave me chills. It was so good too, because for me, the relationship between Batman and the Riddler has always been the Riddler has this obsessive compulsive need to utilize or get Batman to do what he wants manages to do it, but then it winds up blowing up in his face because he gets too full of himself. Exactly. And that's, and that's, that's exactly why the scene worked for me because once Bruce, once once Batman tells him like, great, but this isn't how it's going to end. And he just starts losing it. Like you see, you see Dano's version of the Riddler, just like going full on, like, you know, panic attack mode like no no mm-hmm. no no this isn't how it's supposed like he's he's legit yeah. freaking out because he doesn't know how to handle an L yep he cannot handle being dealt a bad hand he has to be the one that has the one up on everybody and you do kind of get the implication there at the end where he might have a one up on Batman but it's very mm-hmm. it's, it's vague enough to be left up to interpretation but it almost feels a little concrete in some regard Especially in the way he addresses, how's the best way to say it? The way he addresses a particular character's upbringing. Yes. Which is something that I really appreciated in this film because it's something that a lot of people have criticized Batman for for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And it was refreshing to see a villain call him out on it we have not seen that before i I also think again like the whole identity was probably ousted because the fact that he spends so much time being that person as opposed to being bruce wayne yeah so i think that might have something to do with it Mm -hmm. honestly any shot any sequence with him and selena I was game mm-hmm. for like that was that was just yeah. absolutely their their chemistry was top notch. Mm-hmm. So, I think I would also say my my uh, my my other favorite sequence is is hands down like the chase with the Batmobile. Oh, absolutely, yes. Like that 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 in, the entirety the intensity the the just viciousness of that chase was just spectacular from start to finish and even like you know like Cobblepot's whole you know big old spiel at the end there before he gets total <laughs> it's just ah, I got you take that you freaking psycho it's yeah. like dude and then like 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 clockwork Batman runs through a flame with a tarp on the back of his Batmobile it almost looks like you know just this monster is coming right at mm-hmm. you right Again, playing into that, again, they treat they treat Batman like he is a monster, like he is a threat. And it is so damn refreshing to see that again, to see him treated like an imposing character. 
And they even do that with his car. <laughs> because mm-hmm. when that thing comes through the flames, it literally is like a demon coming out of hell. The way the engine roars when he pops through that fire. And, I mean, kudos to the audio team on this film. You feel every little thing in this movie. Every gunshot, every punch, every every time he slams his car into the penguin's car, you mm-hmm. feel it, man. Mm-hmm. And even just that, that last bit where he just battering rams him into, yeah. you know, into the crash. Absolutely spectacular. I, I, I can't the, find another word. The introduction of the Batmobile. I loved how they played that because leading up to that car chase, if you had noticed, they gave us little hints that mm-hmm. the Batmobile was coming. You yeah. know, when he arrives in the Batcave, you see it under the tarp. You see the turbine uh, off the in the per- corner, too. Yeah, you see the turbine in the corner. Then a little bit later in the movie, when he's back in the cave, you noticed... Reeves did a particular shot where it was just looking down at all of these pieces of automobile parts Mm -hmm. and like pieces of the engine. And he does this quick little shot of the engine that he would later put into the Batmobile. Mm -hmm. And then when we finally get to that scene and Penguin and his goons look over and you just hear the, the subtle humming of the engine the music starts to kind of, it's starting to pick up a little bit. They look over, you see the, the car sitting there in the shadows. It's starting to rev up a little bit more. The music's starting to pick up a little bit more. And man, when he guns that thing, it is on and it is one of the best car chases I think we have ever seen in a movie. Did I tell you I listened to an audiobook called Before the Batman? No. Okay, so there's a a audiobook on Audible. Um, if you have Amazon Prime, you should be able to get it for free. But if not, I think it was like I had to pay like twenty five, twenty six bucks. Doesn't matter. It's good, like good, like two hour read, listen, whatever your preference is. Um, basically, chronicles the years leading into the Batman. So from the time like Bruce Wayne is seven till the time he's like twenty eight. Oh, okay. You know what? I think I've heard about this, but I I didn't know that it was actually out. So. In this in this story, um, when Bruce was around seventeen, he gets one of he, he basically travels down to what we know now is the Batcave, right? Like he he travels down there by himself at the age of seventeen. He pulls a tarp off and sees a very vintage sports car his father used to own. Which, if you put two uh, and two together, you can kind of figure yeah. out what that sports car became. But yep. the thing is. He hasn't just been fiddling with this thing, you know, in the like the last year or two. No, he's been fiddling with this car for like fifteen years. It shows because it definitely shows when he was seventeen and he finally fixed it up and made it, you know, drivable. He would take it to street races. Really? Yep. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it it was very fast and furious to to basically put put it put it out there, but. Yeah, he, he, he built this car from the... Re- rebuilt, I guess, would be the better way, way to say it. He rebuilt this car from the ground up from 17 onward. And you got to figure he's like, you know, 30, 31, 32 by the time this movie takes place. And this is in year two. Yeah. But yeah, like, that car was ferocious, vicious, sleek, mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, I, I could go on. I If there were ever 
a Batmobile that you could make like legit, like you could legitimately pass off and make in the real world. That one is probably the closest one you could get. And look, I've seen, you know, replicas of the 89 Batmobile. I've also seen, I think I, I think I've seen, yeah. Matter of fact, at, at Six Flags, I've seen a replica of the Batman Forever Batmobile. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Then, at a GameStop managers conference, I saw they had a, um, they had an 89 Batmobile uh, oh, in the showroom. You lucky dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> going back to even when Matt Reeves was teasing the project in the early days when he went to um, that one, like, museum showcase or whatever, where they had all the 66 stuff, there was the car there, too, mm-hmm. from the show, which I look at all the Batmobiles and I'm like, yeah, that one could still be made, the 89 one, maybe, but when I think about, like, Batflex or Bales, I'm just like, yeah, no, those are almost too military to try and yeah. recreate it from a real they're world standpoint. Tanks. Right. <laughs> they're literally tanks. They're not cars. <laughs> but then I look at, at Pattinson's car and I'm just like, I want that car so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they treat it like it is a part of the character. Like this is the first time where the Batmobile actually feels like it is necessary for a scene in the movie, not just for a quick little chase scene. Right. It's a legitimate chase scene with Oswald Cobblepot. He's running his mouth the whole time, man. Just, <laughs> yeah. Mm, so good. You know, considering what happens at the end of this movie, I don't know if uh, if he's going to be able to use the car for quite some time. Yeah, I know. Or he's going to have to do some modifications to it. He's going to have to do some modifications. I'll be, I'll be curious to see what it's going to look like in the next one. Or he's going to have to use another means of transportation. Yeah, very true. I.e. the the bat wing or the bat boat. I don't know which mm-hmm. one. Oh, I said bat boat. That might be a spoiler for something. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of spoilers, spoiled. You know who wasn't spoiled as a kid? Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you want to know why? You want to know why he wasn't spoiled? Because Alfred doesn't spoil children. Mm-mm. Alfred teaches children how to fight. Alfred teaches children how to fight, and also. How to give him a good old fashioned can of ass whoop? Yeah, <laughs> like in, in the in, you know in the novel I talked about, um, when Bruce comes back from his spring semester at the age of seventeen, him and Alfred like have a sparring match, and Alfred gives him the business. It's, it was I could cool. see that was, from Andy Circus's Alfred. Absolutely, I could see that. And what's even funnier is like, since it takes place, you know, however many years removed from the Batman, you think about like a seventeen year old that version of Bruce Wayne, it's like, oh, that's simple. You just think of Twilight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's a horrible thing to say, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's, yeah, it's that age and he's playing Batman. So <laughs> I, I digress. It, for, I'm just saying it, for me, it was really easy to, to really visualize, you know, an Andy Circus Alfred, just handing Robert Pattinson, his ass as Bruce Wayne. Like, like I could see that. And that's one thing I have seen. Uh, I've seen just a little bit of criticism from people saying that, you know, they wish that Circus's Alfred was in the movie more. And I get that. I do, too. But, I mean, for the time the time that he has, he makes the most of it. You clearly see a bond between him and Bruce in the little bit of time that they have together, especially in a particular scene in a hospital. Oh. In my opinion, one of the best most emotionally gut-wrenching moments in the entire film. 
I'm not ready to talk about that scene yet because <laughs> it's very spoilery. But yeah, 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 there is in fact a sequence there, and you know they they I really did like that they riff on each other, but they also like Alfred is absolutely willing to help Bruce any way yeah. possible, and I I really enjoyed that aspect of their relationship. And you know Andy Serkis again, just another fantastic actor alongside Robert Pattinson. He was um, Caesar in all three Apes movies, but he's also had a lot mm-hmm. of other prominent roles. He was uh, Claw in Black Panther. Yep. Um, he's been in one or two other things. Oh, he was also he also directed Venom. Let there be carnage. Hmm. Did not know that. Oh, how could I forget? Andy Serkis is Gollum. Yeah, Gollum. Yeah. Yep. Don't know how I missed that, but I missed it. Yeah, and I mean, it's refreshing too to in this one, you see Alfred actually participating in the detective side of Batman. Very we true. usually just see Alfred as either the butler that just brings him his food or gets his stuff ready for him, or he's the Alfred who helps him with his like control, like the Batmobile or like the Batwing or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we've seen Alfred actually participate and actually get involved in helping Bruce solve the crime. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, too, because, you know, much like a lot of the other past versions of the character, you know, I think Michael Goh was definitely the more wittier Alfred. He was always very quick to to just, Mm -hmm. you know, let... Bruce have his moments, but also kind of take it away from him to some extent. Uh-huh. Um, I think Michael Caine's version of the character was a little bit more subdued than that. He was much more, he was definitely more of the father figure, Alfred, just yes. there. You know, he was there to support Bruce, give him the words of encouragement that he needed to continue on. That was really Michael Caine's Alfred was the, the gentle, caring support that Bruce needed to get through the trials that he was trying to overcome. Honestly, I didn't even have the right words for it. I'm glad you said that. Cause that makes so much sense. <laughs> and honestly, like even looking at, at Jeremy Irons take on the character, he was very much like, you know, the older best friend who puts up with your shit, no matter what. Yeah. That's... And isn't afraid to like get in there and like actually build things and create and, repair but then you look at andy circus's alfred he's very much kind of like a, a pretty slick combination of all three of them like he's mm-hmm. got he had the uh the knowledge and fortitude to ma- manage wayne enterprises and the you know mm-hmm. lack of interest from bruce and he, handle everything on the side of the on the company side while bruce was out doing his thing right but then also at the same time he's also there for bruce when he's batman and doing you know mm-hmm. certain batman things and taking out the detective lens which if we could just talk a minute for about those detective lenses oh damn yeah. those were dope best 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 bat thing that they that i have seen in a movie since oh god the sonar <laughs> i don't know i don't know there's the, i can't think of any tech that he's had in any previous movies that I thought was more impressive than those those eye things. I mean the the 89 movie had like that double grapple launcher they put in Arkham Asylum however many years later but true. <laughs> I don't know that that's exactly like a, you know, a cool equivalent but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I very much 
think that that circus is, you know i can i can't disagree that he didn't have too much screen time mm. i can't disagree with that sentiment but at the same time i think like you what he did with the screen time was valuable very valuable yes And it was cool to see Alfred with the scar. <laughs> you know, the cane, the scar, the attire, it's from Batman Earth One. Yeah. And I'm not really big on any of those stories much anymore. Especially Earth One. <laughs> For um reasons that I wish to <laughs> not disclose. I mean honestly, like I've always just never been too huge on the real one story for Batman. I always thought it was kind of lazy and half-assed. But we're not here to talk about that. As far (laughs) as Alfred Pennyworth goes, I... Oh, excuse me. I have no stupendous preference on on the way he should be depicted. I just kind of have hopes that, you know, he's more than likely going to be English. And Mm -hmm. if he's with somebody, he's going to be an absolute gentleman. And third and foremost, don't shave his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> don't take the mustache away. No. You know who has a great mustache, though? Uh, Jim Gordon. That's correct. Yeah. Which, this was the cast. Like, I remember when Pattinson was getting cast, or rather when, when the, the final casting was coming down for who was going to be Batman, and it was like allegedly up to um, you know, Pattinson and Eddie Redmayne. From Jupiter Sending. And when I saw that, along with like a short list that also had Pattinson and other dude's name on it, along with a couple other people, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, I know hardly any of these choices except one. I'm going to go with the one that I want and the one that I know. And sure enough, <laughs> I lucked out. <laughs> but I think on the whole, you know, going from Alfred to Gordon, you know, you've got the two paternal father figures there for Bruce and Batman, especially in this case, for this movie more specifically, with Alfred being, you know, kind of a hands-on, very kind of almost overprotective. Oh, yeah, for sure. To some extent, because obviously he doesn't want to see his son, you know, go out and get shot or whatever by these criminal thugs. But at the same time, you know, he, he comes back every night, so... That should, yeah. at the very least, instill some kind of, uh, you know, hope in Carmine Falcone's uh, little ray. But mm. when it came to Gordon's casting, and I, I saw that Jeffrey Wright was cast, I was like, shit, yeah. sign me up. That yeah, dude, perfection. just absolute bomb, fantastic actor, great attitude, just really solid work all around. But yeah, holy damn, some people are stupid. <laughs> Especially yeah, when it comes I, to I was totally on board with him. With traffic. <laughs> and when it comes to Gordon, like you know, obviously there's there's a bit of a, a change there to the character as opposed to what you and I or other fans might be normally associated to. And ironically mm-hmm. and sadly enough, I did see someone use this as like a blatant criticism and I was just like, you know, I feel really sorry for you for thinking that, yeah. that way in a one-dimensional sense. Yeah. A but, title does not make a character. Right. Exactly. And honestly, I think of the side character performances, Gordon's probably my number one. I think so too. Like, the way that Wright 
portrayed the character, the way that he would always kind of sneak off with Batman and kind of a hushed tone and the way that they've kind of like their, their, their relationship is a little tumultuous because they've only been, you know, working with each other for, you know, a year or two, give or mm-hmm. take. So it's very interesting to see like how like this, this whole situation has kind of like made them trust each other more because of how vile and disgust the, 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 the spirit of the city has become. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's interesting, too, because Matt Reeves essentially gives us a buddy cop movie in the middle mm-hmm. of this dark, mm-hmm. gritty film noir that we're going through. And their interaction, I agree with you, like, his performance and his character, I got excited and looked forward to every time he appeared on the screen, almost as much as I got excited for when Batman appeared on the screen, because I was looking forward to... How is Gordon going to react to this? What is he going to do next? What is his you know, plan in this part of the mm-hmm. film? Mm-hmm. He does such a damn good job as the character. Their interactions are great. One particular moment of the two of them having a little conversation while certain people are watching them, I thought was excellently done. You say Kenzie Moon's like, that's for the <laughs> penguin. <laughs> Got into it with him at the Iceberg Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, hearing yeah. hear, okay, hearing Batman tell Gordon mm-hmm. in a movie, I went to the Iceberg, Iceberg Lounge, Lounge. and yeah. I'm just like, pinch me, I'm in heaven, I'm, I'm yeah. in absolute heaven. The Batman again. This this is a realized graphic novel. Like I I think the title of the episode is for sure going to be the Batman is cinema, and I I stand yeah. by that one hundred percent. But like the, you know, their whole relationship was very Sherlock Holmes and Watson. You could see that yeah. clear as day from the first frame they're even in together. You could have pulled that punch. I did. <laughs> could have pulled that punch. <laughs> or like again, you know, when when Savage is kind of lighting him up a little bit at the at the the death of the mayor scene like that that the the way gordon is just stupendously calm about all this he's just yeah. like, he's not involved and and you know the the commissioner's like how do you know he's a goddamn vigilante yeah. it's like oh commissioner savage is pissed yeah and every every character no matter how much screen time they got brought their all to it again savage in it for what two and a half three minutes total of the entire movie but he made the most of every second yeah you could almost say like the way that his scene went he, he almost chewed the scenery mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> chewed it a little bit too hard but yeah. you know where he probably bit off a little bit more than he could chew a little too much maybe gave some a little too much cheddar to the rats i don't know yeah <laughs> that's the one trap that's that that's where i missed it that was the bathroom break and i was like oh oh, it was yeah i was so mad oh man i can't wait to see people at my screening so of course my screen you know there wasn't an empty seat in the house right i could hear people squirming in their seats like (laughs) i could hear people just getting so uncomfortable and i'm just sitting there going this is fantastic (laughs) this is absolutely fantastic no, it's funny. I, I I think it was abundantly clear. We pointed out that he was probably gonna die. Oh yeah. When the promotional footage came out, when when you know you get that shot of 
Battinson, and he's got like you know the the four way cross of trying to figure out what the Riddler's mm-hmm. ultimate game is. And, and you saw Savage Kevin. on there, right? So it's like, okay, well, which trap did he get? Yeah, he got one. <laughs> oh, he, he got the one. Yep, he got that one, right? And it's like, oh, you poor sob. Yep. But hey, you know, at least the rats got fed. <laughs> and speaking and sp- real just a real quick aside speaking of the subtle humor mm. you know i appreciate the fact that this movie gave you a couple of quick little humor moments like a few little moments of levity throughout this you know three hour dark gritty noir but it just it gave them to you in just quick little spurts they didn't have to it didn't have to be a catchy one-liner it didn't have to be you know set up mocking of a situation it was just quick little dialogue moments and that worked so well for this film i thought it was funny that they dropped an f-bomb pretty early on in the movie i thought so too yeah i was uh when they when he said that and i'm like wow we're like what five minutes into this movie and you know every pg-13 movie gets its one f-bomb and i mean they got it right out of the way real quick (laughs) I think it was used appropriately. I think so too. Yeah. Because he, I think he makes a joke about you know Halloween. I think to Batman, yeah. like this must yep. be the the best effing night of your life or something like yep. that. I don't remember what exactly he said, but he said something along those lines, and it's still pretty funny. Yep. Going back to Gordon, though, I, I you know again, I was I was on board from the moment Wright got cast and mm-hmm. everything I've seen from him in the promotion, even just going into the movie, like when when they both show up to the the signal and they they look at each other like what are you doing here what are you doing here right like yeah. i thought it was you yeah. and they go up and sure enough who's there selena kyle mm-hmm. which i was very intrigued by the way that she was portrayed in this movie yeah from zoe kravitz mm-hmm. because the way that the way she gets pulled into this is a very personal reason for her, which I thought I thought was you know nothing short of brilliant. But I had my theories well before you know the movie released with the when those set photos came out of like you know Falcone and mm-hmm. Penguin and you know Selena at like the the funeral or whatever. I was just like. Oh, they're more than likely going to pull from Long Halloween and make her yep. the daughter of Carmine Falcone. Yep. Sure enough, what yep. happened, right? Yeah, this was a very, I, I very much appreciated what they did with Catwoman in this. I, I like the fact that, I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, her costume's not that good, you know, her mask sucks. Okay, this <sighs> is a, she's a thief. What do you, <laughs> like, she's not... Batman, she doesn't have, you know, funds at her disposal where she can go out and get a cool cat outfit. Right. She's a thief. She's trying to steal money so that her and her friend can get away from this cesspool of the city. And unfortunately, her friend's the reason she gets dragged into the whole thing, Mm -hmm. which I would imagine is probably a learning lesson for her. And what's even funnier is, like, her entrance, when she breaks into the mayor's house and takes the Mm -hmm. passport out out of the the vault that's that's straight up catwoman that is catwoman yep they have a fantastic actress in the role uh big props to zoe kravitz that was just again another 
fan favorite of mine. I'd always thought she'd be a really great Catwoman, and I'm really glad she got to really, like, you know, throw her claws out at this one. And like you said, her, uh, like you said earlier, her interactions and the relationship that develops between her and Pattinson throughout this film, just very organic, very well done between the two of them. Oh, yeah. Especially with the, the, the back and forth between the two, because they have very different ideas of what it means to bring justice to somebody. Yeah. Which has always been kind of a contention point for them across a couple different mediums. But I know for sure, um, I haven't read it since I stopped working at the comic book store, but um, the, the book Batman Catwoman from Tom King and Clay Mann and Liam Sharp, like that book really went over their back and forth, at least from a modern, like a super like 2020s times, like modern perspective. I think that book kind of captured that animosity, that deep seated animosity, the, the almost, I can't trust you nature of their relationship, but I do anyway. Like, I, I really do think that this was the beginning of that. I think so too. This very much like will they won't they situation between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I thought that was really well done. You know, especially at the end when she mentions she's going to go up north and almost like it's, it's oh, north okay. to Bloodhaven. Yeah, hmm. right. And it's like, huh. As soon as I heard that, I'm like, huh, okay. It's like, okay, okay, Reeves. It's I like, see, you know, I see what you're hinting at here. Right. It's like. Bloodhaven is very specific to a very certain character in Batman's mm -hmm. mythology, right? And it's like, yep. huh, so Bloodhaven does exist. Okay, yeah. keep that one in the memory bank. And once again, just further shows how much love that Reeves had for this film. He no. didn't have to throw out visual imagery. He didn't have to say, like, this character is coming. Just a quick little thing of dialogue. Right. And for the fans, we hear that and our ears perk up and we go, huh. mm -hmm. okay, I see what you're getting at. Which is interesting to think about because, um, you know, Selena Kyle, she's really like, you know, not necessarily a, uh, damn, I can't even find the right words. Um, When it comes to Catwoman in this movie, like, I, I just, you know, the, it's really hard to make a comparison because there's only two other actresses who'd, stay, who'd taken on the role, and at least from, you know, the time I've been watching Batman till now. Yeah. It, it's only Michelle Pfeiffer and... Um, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, thank you. Yeah. So the, the competition there isn't, isn't really too much there as it is, you know, it, there's only been three versions of this character for at least in live action. Um, I'm going to talk about the 66 movie at some point. I know, uh, I think it's Lee Merriweather in that. I think she's yeah. the Catwoman in that one. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the actress in that one. Neither can I. But I think just the way that they did Selena, the way that she looked year one, for the most part, with her short hair was just outstanding. Yeah. I really, I don't know why, but like the aesthetic of this movie just really works for me. Mm -hmm. I thought I thought the the beanie cat hat was just you know a really nice touch because mm -hmm. you don't have to try and make it look goofy with some kind of goggles like they did with you know Anne Hathaway and I really do like that she had like kind of a, a biker motif similar to 
the Arkham games as opposed to just stitching together leather like Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And getting the seduction and getting like the intimacy of the character, like that's a very, you know, that could be a very easy thing to exploit in a movie like this. So 100%. So you could only to fall back on the character as like, oh, it was just, you know, it was intended that way. Yeah, no shit, it was intended that way. (laughs) This very much could have been a situation where a character just became a character, a damsel in distress situation, or a someone for Batman to save. Right, 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 right. Correct on every cylinder right there. Yes. Speaking of saves, you know who got saved quite a bit in this movie, ironically enough? The Penguin. Oh, yes. Because his ass got saved quite a fair bit by a couple different half-stances circumstances. Um, Oswald Cobblepot. Oz, as they call him. Played by the one and only Colin Farrell, of all people. What? Yeah. I st- <laughs> you know what's funny? I showed a co-worker the other day. Uh, you know, she doesn't follow really anything superhero related, but she knows she knows Batman, she knows Penguin, that kind of stuff. Right. And so I told her that I was getting ready to go see this movie, and she's like, oh, that should be a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah. So I pull up a picture of Colin Farrell's Penguin, and I show it to her, and I'm like, who do you think that is? She's like, no clue. I go, that's Colin Farrell. She <laughs> just, her jaw drops. She goes, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's Colin Farrell. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people are sh- genuinely shocked that Colin Farrell's under that makeup. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. I guess, is a testament to the makeup department on that movie. Yeah. Really well done. I really liked the way they, they depicted him. Um, he's kind of a crony to Falcone. He's got the big gaping nose. He's got scars on his face. He's, he talks like a freaking gangster. Um, and, and honestly... I honestly... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Honestly, like his just his, his whole demeanor was just outstanding, perfect. Even I would say, I say so too. You know, I, the one thing that I noticed while when he was on screen, there were a few shots, particularly in in scenes where the camera is is pulled away from him a little bit, and you see kind of the full face and body and everything. Mm-hmm. I really feel like they did a little bit of a tribute to Danny DeVito in that. Just the eyes and the way his eyes would like bulge out of his head at times and the nose and everything. I kind of got little homages to DeVito and I appreciated that. I think his attire was was very much more uh, Burgess Meredith from very much so. Yeah. 66 show. Right. But his his attitude was was his attitude and especially that that one shot that you mentioned. It was very much. I would imagine probably nice nod to Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. And his like mannerisms are very, just this kind of like good style mafioso guy, just a, a wise guy that's trying to work his way up the ladder in the criminal organization that he's a part of. You're a part of this too. Hmm. Which I still find funny. Yeah. Like the, the the whole delivery of that line is just absolutely comical to me. Yeah. Like just just the way he just delivers the line, the way it's said, 
the way everything's just like <laughs> just, just too good just absolutely phenomenal and even the the little bit of confrontation that they have in the film between you know Batman and the penguin um i think of the of course the car chase scene but um like even the scene in the club where mm-hmm. he's confronting him in his office and you know Batman grabs him and shoves him against the glass and the glass starts cracking against it because of the impact but he's just not really he he's he's still kind of penguin's looking at him like what what are you what is this guy this this freak trying to dress up and and trying to intimidate me and he's just not threatened by him at this point no he's not and what's funny is i don't think a lot of the goons really got spooked by him until they 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 saw what he was capable of until they got their asses handed to them (laughs) right right and honestly i was kind of half expecting him to just kind of slug cobble pot once or twice and he didn't do that so props to him for having that that's what i thought too yeah which is kind of screwed because they have no problem like taping and roping people to poles so yeah i know (laughs) absolutely terrible anyway um you know what? Speaking of terrible, Penguin yeah. is just as vicious and terrible as he was in the books as he was on the animated series. But I feel like with the way the film ends, we're probably going to get to see a lot more of him. But we'll I think see. so. And especially with this supposed HBO Max show that's going to yes come out. And I guess we're going to kind of see the rise of the Penguin. Oh, excuse me. I think... I was talking to another friend earlier about this, and he theorized that the GCPD show could very well be a, a place for, you know, things like that. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. But even also to the point of, of the Penguin show that's being developed, allegedly, I think Farrell mentioned something the effect of it. It could get an R rating, which, okay. I'm okay with that. I don't really. It, have a it would fit with it. with it would fit with this world that he that Reeves has built, right? And just kind of a quick aside too, in terms of characters, this is the first time I feel like Gotham really feels like a lived-in world with all of these characters that we watch interact in this film. This is the first time I truly feel like Gotham City is a lived-in, breathing just disgusting city to live in well if you look back at the other films you know 89 and returns they were very centered by people that had power Mm -hmm. for both films and even going into dark knight and batman begins it's kind of the same logic like yeah it's a little bit bit of a more expanded um supporting cast sure but at the same time like when it comes to spinoffs, I think that honestly, it it I I just think that when it comes to spinoffs, this 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 world is ripe for it, and I think the Penguin shows in the right direction. I think so too, because I think there might be some something else that might creep up out of that, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> um. Oh, you know what? I know what I was going to say now. So when it comes to the characterization of, like, you know... No, when it comes to the Penguin, and it comes to characterization, and it comes to, you know, the characterization of people in these movies, you know, there's a larger emphasis on the elites in 
the Burton films and even the Nolan films, this is the first film where you actually get to see the other side of the coin, the other side mm-hmm. of Gotham City. Yeah, there was, you know, talk about, you know, um, corruption and crime and Gotham and, you know, begins in a little bit in Dark Knight, but you don't really see how it affects those people until Dark yeah. Knight Rises. And, yep. you know, I don't even think that the, that it was ever really addressed. I mean, you can make an argument about the first film, the first Batman film, where, you know, the, the hair products that the Joker came up with was affecting regular people. Sure. But when it comes to just attention and it comes to just um, being a part of the story, you don't really get the feeling that... You don't really get the feeling from those other two franchises that you would say here yeah. with the Batman. I feel like with Nolan's trilogy, it is very much just them telling us that Gotham is a bad place. That Gotham is a, you don't, right. A, right. You don't see it. And like, it's just a lot of, Oh yeah. Gotham. We're, we're just the crime rates huge and all this, but yet all these beautiful shots of this gorgeous city, and yeah, okay, so yeah, some you know mafioso types have a meeting in a room. That's not really a depiction of a you know a city that is beyond redemption. This film actually makes you feel like yeah, Gotham is screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotham has gone through a lot over the last twenty years, and it's getting worse. It's almost like a powder keg. Riddler's the match. Mm. <laughs> yeah that was a pretty sweet segue yeah <laughs> to get to from one villain to the next i think that i don't think there's a bad villain in this movie mm-hmm. and i also don't think that paul dano was anything short of spectacular that dude just absolutely owned what he was given for this film he stole every scene that he was in. Oh, I don't disagree at all. Like he, from the moment you see him in the f- opening of opening the movie, shot. like yep. the opening. Okay, spoilers, everybody, because yeah. the opening sequence of this movie is the Riddler, cr- yep. like not even creeping in. Like you see the Riddler in the mayor's house, and then once the mayor's done having a drink and what a shot yeah i know First right <laughs> what a shot right like everyone what a... in the theater went <gasps> when that happened dude when when it panned over to him i i got spooked i was like yes yeah, he's there too. already like whoa you, you, you weren't no one was expecting that no no, I, no nobody was i if anyone comes to me and says oh i knew that was going to happen bullshit <laughs> yeah i no. call bullshit and then, like, when, when the mayor's done giving his, you know, self-explanatory speech about how much better of a candidate he is, and, like, mm-hmm. he kind of turns around, you just hear Riddler, like, wail, and he goes right after yeah. him. And and just, man. this And that guttural, like, yell that he makes when he pounces on the dude, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just, and just... This, I mean, we're talking a PG-13 movie. It is so uncomfortable. And the, the camera pans out, and you kind of see the blurry beat down. Mm-hmm. But you feel it. And again, credit to this audio team, man. You hear and feel every hit. You know, 
when he did that to the mayor, that was something. And then you see him do it to Savage. And then yeah. you also see him do it to District Attorney Gil Colson in his car. In his car, yeah. It's just like, this guy is relentless. He's twisted, but he's mm-hmm. relentless. And it's so funny, too, because by the time you get to Colson's scene, it's one of those things. They they give it away. I mean, they you can tell Reeves did this on purpose. Mm-hmm. You you know he's in the car. Mm-hmm. You know he's in the car. Mm-hmm. But the way he shoots it and the sound and the lack of well, speaking of sound, the lack of sound, because it's just a dude getting in his car. But you know that something really bad is about to happen. And then when it does, it just hits you. Just like he hits Colson. <laughs> oh, he hits Colson and straps a bomb around his neck. Yeah. And again, same kind of thing. The camera just kind of sits there and you get this blurry shot of Colson kind of reeling from these blows that he's been dealt. And then you see uh, Norton bring this thing around his neck. And you're just like, what is going to happen to this guy? And the tape. I think the tape's iconic. The tape. Yeah, absolutely. Because like when he when he gets on top of the mayor and like, you know, kind of brings his jacket up a little bit and you see the tape, you're like, Oh, that's mm-hmm. what keeps it. That's something. That's a choice. Yeah. There's a there's a reason why my pop figure that I got of him is him standing there pulling tape out. Mm-hmm. That is going to be an image that I think will stick with this film all for from now on. When you think of the Riddler going forward after people see this movie, you're going to think of him pulling that tape out and the sound of the tape getting just stretched out. Honestly, I think my favorite scene with him in it is when Batman goes to try and stop the bomb attached to Coulson's neck. Yeah. And he answers. and then The riddles. the Right, the riddles where, where Dano's riddling out Coulson to try and, you know, get him to say who the rat is, right? And yeah, the, just the the whole the way that he, you know, the way he expresses himself. At, yes, the, the the maniacal giddiness that he yeah, displays. He's having so much fun. He is enjoying every second of torturing this guy. Because like he knows what the answers are, but he knows that Colson's clearly not going to get the answers and he's just waiting for mm-hmm. the bomb to go off cuz he knows it's going to happen. He can't wait. Yeah. It, just the the sheer ferocity in that depiction alone was enough for me to go. Yep. That's my Riddler. Mhm. Yep. It's a Riddler that I don't think any of us ever thought would happen. But mm-hmm. my god, am I glad that he went in the direction that he did with the character. Like, holy damn, that he, the way he just picked the character apart and just, mm, 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 I loved it. I absolutely adored it. I loved, again, like, there's just this maniacal lunacy, but mm-hmm. the fun of it was what, was what really did it for him, too. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I think much like, you know, you think of certain villains throughout the Batman films and you think of their iconic lines, you know, Jack Nicholson, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? You think of ledger, you know, here we go. 
that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When I think of the Riddler and I think of the Batman from now on, I am always going to just hear that line. Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. I think when I think of this version of the Riddler, I'm just going to think next riddle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even like his laugh is wicked creepy. <laughs> Yeah, it's so raspy and so like. Mm, 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 mm. But then, kind of similar to Ledger's Joker, when he breaks that, when he when that giddiness kind of changes and he gets into that violent, angry Riddler. Mm-hmm. I mean, you feel it, man. It mm-hmm. it reverberates through the theater when he starts his like yells and his when the real angry part of Norton is coming through. Yeah, I've got, I just get chills thinking about it. I can't wait to watch this movie mm-hmm. again. He's, he's easily like without question. This is easily like my favorite version of the Riddler. And honestly, yeah. the the idea that he's this, you know, not quite a cyber celebrity, but you know, almost a cyber terrorist with a following Mm-hmm. The fact that he is an attention-seeking terrorist is just like, well, that's kind of the Riddler. Yeah. And I do I do recall, you know, it's funny, I after the movie was over, I did overhear someone kind of saying that one of the things they didn't like, they were like, I didn't like that, you know, it turns out the Riddler was just this guy looking for attention. And I'm just sitting there going, you don't know who these characters are. <laughs> that's exactly who the Riddler is. He right. wants that attention. He wants people to believe that he is the end-all, be-all, that he is the smartest man alive, and anyone that agrees with him can be part of his crew. I've always loved little puzzles. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that line. Yeah. yeah. And even the whole, when he, when, when he reveals like his, his big finale, he mm-hmm. doesn't really reveal it. When... <laughs> When he basically lets Batman know, like, oh, you don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're yeah. really not as smart as I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene, man. Oh, 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 oh. The fact that he and was... And then you watch as that plan gets carried out. The fact that he had the balls to just make Gotham City flood itself like he flooded gotham city in order to try and like cleanse it that was the idea that i i took away from it it's just like you really went all out all because Mm -hmm. you're pissed at the fact that when you were an orphan bruce wayne got more attention than you i don't know that that to me just speaks that's riddler yeah he was jealous of the fact that he didn't get the attention that he believed he deserved right and in a twisted way, too, it was at the fault of the Waynes because of the Renewal Project. Mm. In his eyes, he deserved that. Why didn't he get what he was promised? And that, in turn, twisted him into what he became. It basically sends this whole movie into a just whole... drives the plot. To, to yeah. put it put it lightly, but holy damn, everything with the Riddler in this movie, 
I had no. Uh, mm, there was one scene, and we'll talk about it here in a minute because <laughs> we're we're getting pretty close to, to to legitimate spoiler talk for for yeah you know things to come and other things that have happened in this movie. But before we do get there, we got to talk about one big head honcho, and that is um the the man himself uh, played by John Turturro, Carmine Falcone. Yep. Falcone. Or Falcone, sorry. Not Falcone, Falcone, yeah. Falcone. <laughs> Falcone, Maroney, Falcone. <laughs> oh, Maroney kind of, they all he's in this movie too. Mixing but, in, yep. Yeah. Whom, you, you know, funny enough that he, he, I really liked how every character that we just listed off was interweaved in some way or another to really make this story stick as well as it did. Yeah. Every character has their importance to the overall storyline. And honestly, the relationship between Carmine Falcone and Bruce Wayne is is literally directly lifted from Long Halloween. Halloween. Right. Yep. Because at some point during the movie, Falcone, like, you know, it's it's right at the beginning of the funeral. Like he, he makes mention that mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne was there when he, you know, got shot in the chest and his dad like broke the Hipp- Hippocratic Oath and well, not broke it, but you know, performed the Hippocratic Oath and, you know, saved his life. And then that mm-hmm. in turn you know, Falcone used that as a way to kind of twist what he believed happened to the Waynes in order to kind of feed this idea into Bruce that, hey, you know, your old man wasn't exactly what he was cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Like the the way that he manipulated the entirety of the situation, both in terms of what he did to Bruce and also with the way that he treated Selena. Because mm-hmm. you, you find out in this movie, they make it abundantly clear. Like Selena tells Batman, like, he's my father. It's like, oh, yeah, long Halloween. And her reason for wanting to get rid of him, it's like, you can't really be mad at her, right? Because of what he did to her mother. Right. And how he left her out of literally everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Carmine Falcone's part in this movie. And also, I was just exquisitely happy to see him get get the face scratch that was mm-hmm. that was something yeah. i wondered if it would as happen soon as not. as soon as he started choking her with the the pool stick the billiard stick i and i just i had this feeling i was like she's gonna reach her hand up she, we're getting the we're getting the the scar on the face sure mm-hmm. enough yeah overall i just thought like every cast member of this movie just just did an excellent job without question you know, and even oh. even the supporting cast too. Mm-hmm. Again, they all had an important role to play in the overall storyline. Yep, except for one character. Ah, uh, yes. I so think I, we're heading into spoilers. I think we are absolutely heading into spoilers. So, yep. this film clearly sets up some kind of sequel that will take place in some form of like no man's land or something to that effect. Yep. Um, Cause Gotham city is now under martial law. Right. Yep. And as soon as know, he said those words, Gotham city is now under martial law. I was like, Oh, I already know where we're going. <laughs> it's very clearly inspired by, by no man's land. I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think the sequel is going to take its, its cues from there because it, it, the way this movie ends right like you get you you have these pieces in play like batman is now a changed symbol 
of hope. Like, like, yep. like that is his intention. He knows Cat- what he has to become. Right. Catwoman is going to go on her own journey. Will she reprise? Will she return? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, the Riddler. Will she, will she come back with a particular character from Bloodhaven? Hmm. No, I doubt it. <laughs> but then you get to the Penguin, and he's obviously now in in Falcone's position. It's like mm-hmm. you already know where that's headed. Yep. Pretty cut and dry. But where we last see the Riddler in Arkham, this is the one scene in the movie that I felt could have either been left out entirely or could have been done just a little bit differently. Yep, same. Because he is next to a very specific character from Batman's rogues gallery. And for a long, long time, the actor playing this character was rumored to be said character and also, you know, lightweight confirmed to be another character called Stanley Merkel. I'm just going to go ahead and get out of the way. Barry Keoghan is absolutely the Joker in this movie, Mm -hmm. and he's only got one sequence. And honestly, I wasn't too huge on it. I was the same way. I felt that I get why they decided to do it. Same. But it could. In my opinion, you could have left it out. I don't necessarily think you you, you could have left it out. Would have wouldn't have made a damn difference to the movie. I agree, mm-hmm. but I also think there might have been another way to to kind of yeah. go with it yep. because it's very difficult to see what he looks like. Yep, you know you you can see you can see that there is some kind of scarring on the face right that's the most that i could tell and you do kind of see the kind of disheveled maybe green hair it's Mm -hmm. it's very kind of hard to see because of how it is shot and the way the light is pouring into his cell but i do kind of think that there is a little subtle hint of green hair in there i think there is yeah so you have to wonder how that happened yeah which a friend of mine pointed out that maybe, just maybe, it could pop up in the GCPD show. I don't know, personally, but... Because that is the thing, too. Who, How did he end up in Arkham? Right. Was this a character who maybe Batman encountered in his first year and got into Arkham? Or is this someone who the GCPD caught and has been sitting in Arkham for who knows how long? Right. Or is it some prior thing the Batman took care of before mm-hmm. dealing with the Riddler? Like that's yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, because I think he he mentions something effective, like you know, he tells a riddle to the Joker. The Joker tells a riddle to the Riddler, and it kind of sums up a you know, the less friends you have, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Also mentions something that the effect of like be a clown, which is very yep. clear nod to the animated series. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, the episode, our last episode, we did yep. in fact do that. <laughs> like, so. like we said prior to recording this, we, uh, I started chuckling. <laughs> I, had a, I, I just got a smile on my face as soon as he said that line, and I'm just like, we were literally just talking about this. Indubitably, we were. We absolutely were talking about that, and. It's funny because this this whole movie has just generated just an, an enormous amount of conversation, mm-hmm. in, in you know a very short amount of time. Even the time it's been released, and then well, it's going to be released here 
tomorrow night, Friday, whatever your preference is for wanting to see the movie. But uh, I'm just I'm I'm just absolutely beside myself for the most part. I mean, this movie's like yeah. a, a nine point nine 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 out of ten. Yeah, that's what I. I think what I it's like what I told you. This is not. It is not a perfect movie, but my God, it is a perfect Batman movie. Mm-hmm. This to me, and again, I may I've got to go see it again, but I just this is the definitive Batman. Right. Right, 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 right. Absolutely could not disagree at all. Um we do have a couple questions here before we kind of dip out for the net for the evening. Um after that little bit of spoiler talk regarding, you know, the yeah. movie and things like <laughs> that. But we did get a couple questions here on Facebook. Uh, the first one is from Jared Butts, and he is from the Nerd Night Edition podcast, and he asks, after seeing the film, has your curiosity peaked or dwindled at what Ben Affleck's take would have been? Note, I'm 24 hours away from seeing the film at the time of writing this. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Craig, why don't you go ahead and answer this one first? So after seeing this, I mean, of course I'm satisfied with this film, but there will always be a part of me that will sit there and go, man, what if Affleck had gotten a chance to do the film that he was going to direct? Would we have seen something to the degree of this, but with Affleck's Batman? Or would it have been something entirely different? Um, I mean, I am 100% satisfied with what we've got. And I think Matt Reeves deserves all the credit in the world for what he has done with this world and these characters. But there will always be just a little part of me that will just sit there and go, man, I loved Ben Affleck's Batman so much. I really wish we could have seen what he was going to do. I think for me, it's not so much as it's peaked or dwindled. It's just always just kind of been, I kind of have the idea of his movie already kind of worked out in my head because Mm -hmm. the villain choice was, uh, was clearly very different. I mean, from what I understand, the Riddler was supposed to be a part of Affleck's film, but only as a means to set that character up for what Zack Snyder was going to do in Justice League 2 because the Riddler was going to be a part of the Legion of Doom. The main villain of that, of Affleck's Batman movie, was supposed to be Deathstroke. And I would have loved to see that on screen. Oh, man. And it's like, I don't know that curiosity peaks or dwindled because it's it's like, I can visualize that movie in my head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can have that like it's it's almost like a, a you know if you watch for example like say you watch Batman v Superman just sight unseen no other DC connections and you just kind of have the fun of oh well what else could you possibly do with the world just play with your imagination about it mm-hmm. would I like to see WB maybe come back to the table with Affleck at some point in the future mm-hmm. and do something like it yeah do I think it's going to happen not really mm-hmm because, you know, the studio's in a bit of a different place. They're going through a merger. They're probably going to have a lot of different shuffling as far as, like, management goes here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just don't know. And on, on top of that, you know, as far as Ben Affleck has said, like, he just doesn't seem interested in doing large IP stuff anymore. Hey, you know, that's his that's a prerogative. Mm-hmm. By all means, I'm not going to sit here and be mad at him for it. Not at all. I appreciate what he brought to the character. But I can't sit here and go, well, no, you have to be Batman from now on. Right. Yeah. 
definitely not going to do that. Not anymore. Well, not that I ever did, but just, yeah, <laughs> just, it's just, it's just, it just seems disrespectful. Like, no, you mm-hmm. need to be this character. Like, mm, you don't really get to control someone else's life. So yeah. no. How about that? And I respect him for taking that stance of going, you know what? I think I'm kind of done with big blockbuster IPs. I want to go and do other things. I can respect that. Honestly, after everything that happened with Justice League and dealing yeah. with all the I the, get it. The, yeah. the, the, the nonsensical nonsense that you have to imagine probably came from Jeff Johns. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go back and deal with that either. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. And <laughs> I I don't I don't blame him. I don't at all. And honestly, he even mentioned some of the effect of, you know, it, it, a filmmaker who has the heart to make a Batman movie should make the Batman movie. And his heart wasn't mm-hmm. in the place at the time. Can't be mad at him. And again, what we got was a director who fully embraced everything about Batman and gave us an absolute masterpiece of a film. Couldn't agree more. And our good friend Terrence has also chimed in asking, I want the ranking of all the Batmans, including Bat Pattinson. Oh boy. (laughs) Also, where does the Riddler sit in terms of movie villains in the DCEU? Well, technically, this isn't the DCEU, buddy, yeah, but I, I yeah. get what you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, right now, after just one viewing of the movie, Pattinson is neck and neck with Affleck for me as favorite. Yeah. I think for me, he, as of right now, he just edges out Affleck for me. But it could just be the endorphin rush I'm still getting from the freaking mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree. I think it's going to be very neck and neck. Uh, I'm going to have to see the film again, maybe even a third time, to really determine who is the absolute number one. And as far as the Riddler sits in terms of movie villains in the DCEU, I would personally... I think if there's a category for great villains in DC just movies in general, I think you've got, you know, you've got General Zod, obviously played mm-hmm. by Michael Shannon. You've got Heath Ledger's Joker. Um, honestly, I would even throw um, Kieran Hines' Steppenwolf in there, too. Yeah, to some after, extent or after another. Snyder Cut, absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. The Snyder Cut version of the character, not the yeah. Justice Lost version. Really? Yeah. Yeah. As far, I think Riddler is definitely up there with them in that, so. in that, in that circle, I think, you know, along with like Black Manta, I, which again, another fantastic villain. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know what? I'd probably even say he might be even be my favorite Batman villain in live action thus far. I don't know. I'm going to need to I, see the movie a couple more times. Yeah. I, again, this just could be my just absolute a enthrallment with this film. I don't know how I can't put him at the top after what he did in this film. I have never seen a more imposing character on the screen in terms of a DC villain since Ledger's Joker. And I don't know. There's just, there's something just very unique and special from what we got from Dano in this. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree. Yeah, I think. I think they get. They brought. I think he brought it. I just think he brought all the energy he needed to do the role. 
And thankfully, since he's not dead, he can come back for the sequel. And remember, too, that was one of your fears is that he was not going to make it uh, mm-hmm. by the end of this film. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it's not the case. Yeah. Superbly glad that is not the case. Yeah, I can't I can't honestly wait to see what happens with the sequel. It kind of feels like they're going in a very specific kind of direction. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the Joker is going to be a part of it. I mean, that ending kind of indicates that might be the case, but. Matt Reeves has talked about Mr. Freeze, and I'm like, yeah, please do that. Yeah, please. <laughs> please do freeze. Yeah, I feel like just given Reeves as a director, I don't think, uh, to uh, to say the phrase, I don't think he's going to blow his load early. I don't think we're going to see Joker in the second one. We might get like hints or maybe teases of him kind of similar. We'll probably get something a bit more teasery, a little more exposure than what we got in this first film. I don't think he's going to make him the central point, the central villain of the second film. I think he's going to kind of slow burn the Joker because I think Reeves as a director understands what he's doing and i think he he cares about this world so much that i don't think he would throw something as iconic as the joker in on the second film i think that's something he's probably going to lead to yeah i think i think that version of the joker is going to get sprinkled in to some Mm -hmm. extent in the second film and i think he they might reserve him as like the third movie villain but i think he's going to be i think he's this is very much, I I personally think that Reeves is going to give us the dynamic of this ongoing development of confrontation between Batman and the Joker throughout these films. Because didn't he did he say uh, it's going to be a trilogy, or is it or are we going to see like four films? I can't remember what Pattinson signed on for. I think for. the proposal is three movies. Three movies. I think I don't know. If that is the case, then I do think that's what, like, this first film gives us a little tease. Second film maybe exposes him a bit more, gives us a little more of the character. But I truly think that he'll save Joker as the true villain, central character villain of the film for what would be the end of this story. I think because how, how, how could too. not? I think oh, they're yeah. going to, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think for sure, like, Harvey <laughs> yeah. Dent is probably in that pipeline somewhere too i think so too um i think we've also mentioned uh, at nauseum we'd probably love to see some more fantastical villains too but you know time will tell yeah time will tell with what mr matt reeves decides to do with the sequel to the batman which i don't even know if they're what you would even title that movie because yeah i remember we were talking about that you were like how would you title it i'm like i don't the batman and insert subtitle here or is it does he just go out and call the second one no man's land like i don't know <laughs> vengeance year three mm-hmm. I, don't know. I have i have absolutely no idea what you do from that on i really i, I don't i'm i'm here for it though this, this yeah. world everything about it i'm i'm invested in it and i will yeah. absolutely watch whatever is thrown my way so i will watch the penguin show i will watch gcpd and I will watch the inevitable second movie after it gets made. Yeah, like um, like we've talked about in previous episodes, I've never really been able to get into like you know the 
the TV shows, you know, Arrow, I tried it, didn't really care for it. Flash, right. pretty fun, just couldn't really stick with it. Don't get me started on Titans or anything like that. Um, yeah, we don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of this world, you give me spinoffs, you give me anything from this world, I'm all in. I am ready. I haven't been this excited about a, a fictional world on screen in a very, very, very long time. Can't disagree. Can't and won't. I think this is probably one of the most special Batman films ever made. I think, um, honestly, it, it just kind of remains unmatched for me as far as solo films are concerned. Yeah. So. I, I don't know how anything can top it. Same. Well, buddy, I think that's, we're nearing the two-hour mark, so I think this is probably a really good place to put a pin yeah. in it for now. This has been a really solid conversation regarding a lot of these characters, this movie, what's to come, what could come. I'm not, not entirely sure, but um, thanks again, man. It's always a blast chatting Batman with you. No problem. And I mean, what a journey it's been from our first episode to get to this point where we have been eagerly awaiting to talk about this film. And I'm so glad that it met and, in my opinion, exceeded the expectations that I think we both had for this film. Yeah, I think you put it pretty on the dot. So, well said, my man. Well said. This has been absolute blast. As you all know, we are on Podbean. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for T-E-K underscore podcast on Twitter and Facebook and just search for The Eternal Night on Podbean and Apple. Um, feel free to write us a review or leave us a message at either of those. Preferably, you know, leave the review on iTunes. Helps the show get noticed. We'd really greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah, that that's this has uh, been our review, first review. I'm sure probably isn't going to be the last time we talk about this yeah, movie. I highly doubt it. <laughs> of the Batman, Craig, my guy. Where can people find you on the interwebs if they wish to follow you along? One more time. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Craigie Omega, C R A I G G Y O M E G A. And y'all can follow me, just again at Unfiltered. That's Twitter, Vero, Instagram. You can also catch me on the Four Nerds Network every occasion. You can also catch me on the ACS Universe Show on YouTube. Both are on YouTube. You can also listen to my other show, Superhero Stress, if you guys wish to. It's also on Podbean, as well as Apple Podcast. But this is where we are taking our bow from the Batman. And we hope you all have a splendid, wonderful evening. And uh, don't be too vengeful. Have a good night, everyone. Go see this film. Yes. Go see this movie. Give it all the love. Give it all the praise. And yeah, that that's that's kind of our stamp of approval. Oh, take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm vengeance. What's black and blue and dead all over? You. Dick. Ah, <laughs> <I> got you! <laughs>
you're right. Like I, I, I don't get why people want a very specific take on the real. I mean, you know what? I can understand the sentiment of I want Batman the animated series in live action. I do, but at the same time, if you do that, then all you're gonna do at that point by the general audience or, you know, even critics are just, well, well, it's just the animated series done on live action. Mm-hmm. It's just going to yeah. get that, it, that criticism lobbied against it. So why bother making the risk if it's not worth it in the end anyway? Because like, if, if you do, if you try and do what the, the animated series did in live action form, I don't know that you're ever going to, I don't know that you're going to be able to do it. Number one, because yeah, the the timelessness of the animation and the quality of the you know the buildings, the cars, the the looks, everything is very specific, but spe- specific to a point, because it's very, you know, the attire that everyone wears is very you know fifties sixties mm-hmm. gaunt, but like the architecture is almost nineteen thirties forties grim, but then you've got like. 80s 90s computerized technology too and it's just technology, like yeah it's just like i don't I, I just don't see how you you do that in live action i mean honestly yeah reeves probably got the closest yeah but it's like, it's like what we talked about in the uh the mask of the phantasm commentary it, the animated series world is it's in its own little universe of all of these different timelines just blended together. You know, like you said, you know, the the art, the architecture and everything from, you know, almost got this like gothic, you know, art deco style. Everybody right. walks around like in the 40s and 50s, you've got, but then the tech, like you said, is 80s and 90s technology where they've got, you know, Batman's got video phones and all this other stuff. Joker's got, <laughs> Joker's got Skype. <laughs> yeah right so it's it right. exists it exists in this weird world that just i don't think would translate properly to live action yeah you know it's it's literally like it's it's in its own world so i don't understand why people would try their damnedest to just to literally just recreate that in some kind of bastardized live action way and if they did it would get ripped apart for that i mean at the same time though like you know, maybe take a little bit of inspiration from mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. I, can, I can understand wanting a Riddler in a bowler cap with the suit and like, you know, just being coy and leaving these riddles and being, ha 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 ha, Batman, I'm smarter than you. And it's like, yeah, yeah but I've seen that before. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's like, why take away from what John Glover did and then discount what Paul Dano did? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And honestly, like the, the end of the movie, he's well on his way to kind of ditching that mask and being, I would imagine, you know, more of a, a Riddler that you could see somewhere down the line in, say, like a bowler cap or a suit and a tie with a riddle mark Yeah, on because it. at this point, he's been revealed. He Everyone knows now who the Riddler is, so he doesn't have to hide. Yeah, the only thing that's kind of... <laughs> Holding me back about that is now in this universe, he knows who Batman is. True. See, that was the that was the one thing that kind of confused me a bit. I almost got the feeling like 
in that scene when they're in when they're having their talk mm-hmm. i feel like he kind of indicated that he knew that bruce wayne was batman but i think at the same time i don't know if he actually did or not there was i got such a i was so conflicted on that because the way he said like bruce wayne and you know pattinson's eyes kind of get wide but there was something about the convert i'm gonna have to see i'm paid more attention again on my second screening because i feel like it's almost like he hinted that he knew, but at the same time, I don't know if he truly knew or not. It was a very, very interesting conversation they had. Yeah. It was it was something, honestly. He definitely, I will say, he definitely did a great job of, like, bringing that city down to its knees and, yeah, you know, opening up that giant can of worms that he did. And honestly, you know, if you really think about the movie, it's it's literally the long Halloween. It is. It's it's yeah. literally the long Halloween, right? Like, yeah, all the way from Catwoman scratching Falcone to him mm-hmm. dying to like, you know, yep. even the dude. The thing that really just tickled my fancy was when Falcone was like, "Yeah, little Bruce here. He watched. Mm. He yeah. watched his daddy yeah. fix me up." And I was like, "Oh my yep. god, he's literally yep. doing the long Halloween." Yep exactly what i thought too but we should probably get into it yeah because we're already five minutes and we'll leave this little six minute piece for the rest of the world to listen to afterwards yeah little bonus (laughs) oh dude that that bonus on the last one was great (laughs) i actually managed to screech to static out every single Uh one. i'm pretty proud Uh of myself on that one yeah we got into it on that one Thank you for listening to The Eternal Night. This podcast is not affiliated with Warner Media or DC Entertainment. All thoughts shared belong to those involved and not the companies they happen to work for or be talking about. Drop us an email at eternalnightpod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at T-E-K underscore podcast. Thank you.